Our readings again this weekend um, take up the theme of mercy, which is really, really important because it's our only hope. We also see in our readings uh, a tension between the way that you and I see things and the way that God sees things. And that's really important. I think that's an important idea because, yeah, just when I think that God sees everything the way that I see things, I get really frustrated with God because I'm like, what's the deal? Why don't, what are you doing? Uh, but we are told that God's ways are as high above our ways as the heavens are above the earth. So God sees things differently than us. Now, the great drama of Christianity, what God wants to do is he wants to teach us how to see. There's a number of, of healings of blind people, and we can see that as like, oh, that's not, that's not me. But the truth is, well, each of us are blind in every way that we don't see things the same way that God sees them. First reading just talks about creation. Now, how does God see creation? Even though compared to God, all of the universe, meaning not the universe meaning everything, right? Not just earth, but meaning the stars, the moon, all of, all of space, all of time. The whole universe before God is like a grain from a scale. It's like a, piece of, it's like a grain of sand. Because God is, is infinite. He's glorious. He's majesty. But even though there's this difference between all things and God, God has mercy on everything. So his greatness doesn't make him cruel or domineering. It makes him tender. So that's an important idea that, that we don't always see. We think that if somebody is really, really grand or great or big or powerful, they're not going to be gentle. But that's not true of God. God is at the same time infinitely powerful and almighty and infinitely tender and close and gentle, which is really beautiful. And even though the whole universe for him is just like a speck it says that he loves everything. He loves all things that are. And he loathes nothing of which he has made. For who, for what you have hated, you would not have fashioned. So there's an important idea that here that creation is good. All of creation is good. Now creation is broken, and it's broken through the fall and through our own failings. But creation itself is good. Also you, I hope you know this, but you were good. Now you're broken. You're flawed. So am I. But you're very good. And why are you good? Well, because God made you. And God makes good things. Because if, if, if you were something bad, he wouldn't have made you. No, you're good. It also says, the next line of the first reading says, how could a thing remain unless you willed it or be preserved had it not been called forth by you? There's this fascinating idea, and that's that creation, God's creation of us, is a continual act. This is hard for us to imagine. What that means is, God didn't create you back in the past, and now you exist on your own. And God didn't create the universe back in the past, and now it just kind of runs on its own. No, at every moment, God is willing you into existence. He is holding you in existence. At every moment, God sees you and it says, it's, it's good that you exist. Keep existing. I love you. Right now, right here, on Saturday, whatever it is, 5-19, God is, is holding you in existence in love. Creation didn't happen in the past. It's happening now. It's beautiful. It can be kind of scary because it's like, well, what if he stops thinking about me? He's never going to stop thinking about you. He's totally captivated by you. Could a mother forget her child? 
And even if a mother could forget her child, he'll, he'll never forget you. So you're very good. So we are good. Amen? Do we always do good things? Yes or no? No. Somebody, it's their ear, and I thought they raised their hands, being like, always do good things? Yeah, over here. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, so we do bad things. We do things that are evil. And we hurt other people, and we hurt ourselves, and we, we forsake God at times. But that's not who you are. You are not your sins. You're not your failings. Pope John Paul II said it very beautifully, so don't need to improve upon it. He says, we are not the sum total of our weaknesses and failures. No, we are the sum of the Father's love for us and our very real capacity to be, to be made into the image of his son, Jesus. So you, who are you? You are the Father's beloved, who God is forming into his own son. That's how he sees you. He doesn't see you as your weaknesses and failures. That's not your identity. No, that's not you. Your sins are not you. If anything, there are ways in which you're not yourself. We know what that is. Sometimes you say to somebody, like, hey, you're not yourself today. Anytime you sin, God says to you, like, hey, you're not being yourself. Like, you're not being the you that I made you to be. And not in a shaming way, but a way that calls you up, calls you, calls you higher, calls you forward. So God always sees you as good, and not just good, but very good, and not just very good, but something captivating and beautiful and wonderful. So that's the way that he deals with us in the midst of our sin. So that's just really important kind of groundwork as we move into our gospel. In the gospel, Jesus sees somebody very differently than everybody else sees that same person in, in, in real time. So Jesus is coming to Jericho. Now Jesus is, is on his journey down to Jerusalem where he's going to die. In the gospel of Luke, he sets his face towards Jerusalem and he's heading there to save us from our sins. So he knows what our sins are going to cost him. Right? When God forgives our sins or erases our sins, that costs him something. There's a real debt that, that is paid. And so he's not just flippant with like, don't worry about sins, it's nothing. No, like, this is what the cost of sins are. Right? He will bear that in his person. That's going to be costly for him. Nonetheless, in his love, it's the deepest thing he desires to forgive us, to set us free. So Jesus is coming to Jericho. Jericho is down the mountain from Jerusalem. It's kind of the last big town that you go through before you get to Jerusalem. Now there's a man named Zacchaeus. Um, he's a chief tax collector. So again, remember, when you hear tax collector, think somebody that's done awful things and is hated by everyone. Okay? Tax collectors were, were quote-unquote bad people. We find out there are no bad people because people are made by God and that means you're good. But they were seen as awful people that everybody hated because they took advantage they worked for the Romans. They were traitors. They're bad. Okay. But something is, is going on in Zacchaeus, and he really wants to see Jesus. Maybe he's just curious about him because he's heard about Jesus. We don't know what's going on. But he really wants to see him, but he's really short. And so he goes ahead of the crowd and climbs a sycamore tree. And so he's in a tree. And even just wait, wait, remember for a moment, like, yeah, that would have been kind of funny, kind of strange. There's a way in which he's kind of setting his dignity aside a little bit to see Jesus. Like a grown man climbing a tree is not a common occurrence. You don't, you don't see that every day. But he's up in the tree. He wants to see Jesus. Um, and then something incredible happens. So much so that forever, this would have been the moment, this would have been a moment in Zacchaeus' life that's a before and after moment. After this moment, everything was different than it was before. 
It's a total change. And what happens? Jesus gets to the place in the road where Zacchaeus is, and he looks at him. And there's something about the way Jesus looks at people. Pope Francis is preaching about this all the time. The gaze, the way that Jesus looks, has power to transform. It says Jesus looks at him and says, what? Zacchaeus, come down quickly, for today I must stay at your house. Okay, so what's going on here? First off, does Jesus have to stay at Zacchaeus' house? Well, yes, but why? It's not because he's like, hey, I, I got to use the restroom. Like, your house is close. Like, let's just go there. Like, no, no, no. What's going on is that Jesus' heart is always in communion with God the Father's heart. And the will of the Father, what the Father wants is for his son to come very close to Zacchaeus. Now, who is Zacchaeus again? He's the chief tax collector. So among all the people that are hated, he's the, the worst of them all. Like, everybody would have despised him as an awful person. But the father wants to send his son to come close to him. But he's a terrible sinner. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's the point. There's these weird myths about God. Like, if you do bad things, you're going to get struck by lightning, right? God will smite you. Is that what's going on here in the Bible? Does Jesus ever do that to somebody who's like a deep, pitiful, wretched sinner? No, it's, it's, he's crazy in his compassion and so he sees Zacchaeus and he looks at him with love and he calls him and he says like, hey, I want to come close to you. I want to stay at your house. And we know too that in the way that Jesus behaved, what was conveyed to Zacchaeus was immense love. You can tell if somebody loves you by the way they look at you. Zacchaeus would have felt deeply loved. Jesus asked him to come down quickly. Why? Again, because Jesus is eager to come close to him. He's not like, oh, I'll get to it sometime. No, he's eager to come close to this man with love, and he chooses him. So Zacchaeus comes down quickly and receives Jesus with great joy. Again, Zacchaeus knows that he's done what he's done. He's know, he knows he's done bad things. He's probably felt a lot of shame. He probably doesn't look people in the eye a lot. He probably has to hide from people. He might have been afraid of what Jesus might do if you ever met him, because he's, he's done awful things. But in this moment, in experiencing the way that Jesus actually is, he's just overjoyed. Now, in the face of his joy, what happens? Everybody sees this. That's us. This is the us of the crowd. We see what just happened, and we're like, you've got to be kidding me, right? Zacchaeus, he's like the worst of the worst. You think of somebody in your life, like who's the worst in your life? That's Zacchaeus. And Jesus wants to stay with them, like you've got to be kidding me. So everybody's mad. Because why? Because they don't know how love works. And you and I don't know how love works. Because what do we think? I got to be good enough. I got to perform. I got to achieve. I got to accomplish. I can't be the way that I am. No. It's not the way it works. They kind of hate Zacchaeus because there's parts of themselves that they kind of hate that are kind of like Zacchaeus. The parts of themselves that are selfish, that are unfaithful, that are greedy, that take advantage of other people. Yeah, they kind of hate that in themselves, and so they really hate it in Zacchaeus because he embodies all of it. They don't know that, oh, if Jesus, like when he sees those parts of us, he's just moved with love. He just wants to bring healing. Even in our sin, he just sees pain. He just wants to bring love and mercy. The fascinating thing, too, is these people had been judging and criticizing and hating Zacchaeus probably for a long time. Did it work? No. No, he kept just doing what he was doing. But then one person comes along 
and just loves him and just looks at him and rejoices in him and says, I want to come close to you. And then everything changes. Zacchaeus comes down. Everybody judges him for a second. And then Zacchaeus stands there and says to Jesus, Behold, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've ever stolen anything from anyone, I'll give them, I'll give them four times as much. What's going on? Is Jesus is calling the goodness out of Zacchaeus. He's saying, Zacchaeus, you're not bad, you're good, and I love you. And it's his love that totally transforms him. When there's people in our lives that do bad things, what do we think we need to do? We need to correct them. We need to make them feel bad for what they've done. We need to show them how we do good things. Da, 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 da. And then maybe they'll come be like us, right? But the truth is, what actually changes the world is mercy. It's love. People know when they've done bad things. You don't have to help them with that. I don't have to help them with that. No, what they've forgotten is that they're good and that they're loved. And when you can show a person that, and you show them that by the way that you treat them, by your love, that's what changes everything. Jesus doesn't have to shame him. He doesn't have to say, you've stolen a bunch. You shouldn't do that. What changes his life is love. And then there's just this explosion of repentance out of joy. He's not like, I know, I know, I'm sorry. Like, I know I've done bad things. I won't do it anymore. He's just like, well, I don't, I don't care about any of that stuff anymore. Like, I'm done with money. I don't even care about it because I've experienced love and it's changed everything. And then Jesus says to him, and you can just imagine the joy of Jesus' heart. He says, today, salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a descendant of Abraham. He is a faithful Jew. He is a child of the promise. He is the one that is chosen by God. For the Son of Man, that's Jesus. Anytime you hear Son of Man, Jesus is talking about himself. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what was lost. I don't know, there's something so beautiful about this man, Zacchaeus, who was hated and despised and judged for so long that all it took was one person to come and see him and really see him as good and love him, and then everything changed. So you and I have a job to do, but before that, there's something really important that we know. What's the job? Jesus gave us commandment at his last supper. He says, as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So we are called to love other people with mercy. But that's the second important thing. What's the first most important thing? It's to let you love Jesus, or excuse me, it's to let Jesus love you. It's really important that you know that Jesus does not hate you. And when you've done terrible, awful things, Jesus just wants to come close to you and love you and like come dwell with you, to come stay with you. Your sins are not repellent to God. They don't keep him away. No, if anything, they attract him. In our sinfulness, God just wants to come all the more. Who did Jesus pick to stay with? The biggest sinner he could find in the whole town. So there's just nothing about you that God wants to reject or run away from. No, he, he just wants you so badly. And we need to know the way he sees us. We need to know his mercy. And when we experience it, then it's like, wow, okay, yeah, I want to give that to others because it's so beautiful. I don't want to count the costs anymore. I don't want to judge anymore. I don't want to, yeah, no, I just want to love because I've been loved. I'll give you a moment to pray. The way that Jesus looked at Zacchaeus had the power to change his life. 
The way that Jesus looks at you has the power to change your life because of the infinity of his love. So I'd like you to ask Jesus to show you how he sees you. You're not the sum total of your weaknesses and failures. No, you're the sum total of the Father's love for you and your very real capacity to become in the image of his Son. So let's ask Jesus and ask him to show you through your imagination. Jesus, show me how you see me. Show me how you look at me, please.